And welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back to another spook-filled episode. I have an amazing show lined up for you guys this evening, and I can't wait to dive into it. But, before I do, if you have your own story you'd like to share on the show, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the Report Your Sightings tab on the official website, which is www.monstersamonguspodcast.com. Keep in mind that I'm still looking for hometown legend submissions, so if you have something awesome you'd like to share about your hometown, county, or even state, now is a great time to do so. Alright, without further hesitation, our first call of the evening. This story comes to us via Lisa, all the way from Germany. Keep your ears open for the twist in this one. Hey, so my name is Lisa and I'm from Germany and I wanted to share a story that I actually just remembered and the story takes place on my birthday in I think 2012 or 2011, one of the two and um, so I just turned either 11 or 12, I don't know. Um, so I was, uh, I had, I had friends over, I think we were five all together, so I had four friends over, and we were all in my room, and I had mattresses laid out on the floor, and it was around, uh, 11 or 12 p.m., so they were all sleeping over, and we played this game. I'm pretty sure you know it. I, I think it's an international thing. Uh, it's called Black Stories. And I had gotten it for my birthday. And um, we were playing it on the floor. When suddenly we heard a noise coming from my cupboard. And it came from one of the drawers that I had. And we all freaked out. Because we... At first we weren't entirely sure what it was, and they weren't sure at all because they don't know what is in my cupboard. So we were all freaking out and we were we stood up and we immediately ran to my bed and we all sat on the bed. I, re I remember it quite vividly. We all jumped on my bed and just cowered together. Um, because, and I knew that because I knew what was in the cupboard, uh, because in the cupboard there was a music box. So what we heard was the music box that started playing 
um, not for a very long time, maybe only a second or so, so it wasn't like someone was turning it, or if someone was turning it, or something was turning it, not for a long time. Um, I told them that I knew that it, that I knew it was the music box I had in there, and again we were still freaking out, and I decided well I had a TV in my room. It was a pretty small TV, just so um, I decided well I'm gonna put on the TV because everyone's freaking out, myself included, and we need something to take our minds off of the fact that we just heard this weird noise and I took the remote control that was by my bedside table and I took it and I pointed it towards the TV and nothing was happening nothing absolutely nothing I pushed the button and nothing was happening and I pushed it again and again and again and the TV did not turn on so I wanted to call for my mom, but I didn't. I was a big girl. And so I got up and I walked towards the cupboard, uh, because on top of the cupboard the TV is, uh, was. And uh, I, you know, I looked behind the TV and I looked at the, um, at the plug and checked if it was all plugged in. And w it was all plugged in and I unplugged it. I plugged it in again, I waited a bit, and it didn't turn on, didn't turn on, and then maybe two minutes or so later, the TV finally turned on, and we all started to calm down a bit, and I thought it was very, very strange. I don't know what triggered it, the, the noise and the TV not turning on. Everyone else, I think, calmed down and they weren't as freaked out as I was um, but I was definitely freaking out but at some point of the night we all went to bed we all slept and nothing happened but the next day I looked in the cupboard and yes the music box was there and I looked at it and I tried to you know turn the thing you have to turn to make the music and I turn it and it worked and it worked just fine um, and I try to like shake it you know move it in any way to make sure or to check um, if like any movement might have triggered it maybe someone accidentally um, touching the cupboard or something like that might have triggered it. I, d I don't know. I don't think it did. I didn't um, hear anything. I didn't see anything. Um, I'm sorry. I just... I was looking out of my window and directly opposite my window there's another house and I can pretty much directly look into the window of my neighbor and usually the blinds are completely drawn but right now one of them is open and it's the one that leads to the balcony that I can look at and it's very close it's only maybe five meters away six meters which is like I don't know 15 feet or 20 or something I don't know I can't really and I can look into the window pretty 
well. And there's no one in there. I can pretty much oversee the entire thing. I'm not making this up right now. I literally just saw that happening. And I, I'm standing up right now so I can see better. I just saw the lamps turn on. Now, I have never been in that house. But I just saw the lamps turn on and I can literally see because I'm so close to it. I can see the switch for the lamp in the, in the, in the room. And nothing was in that room. I mean, I can't oversee the entire room. But it's not like, it's not a big room. That's all I can say. And I saw one of the lamps, so like the ceiling lamp. There's like three of them, like conjoined in like one lamp. And I saw one of them turn on just now and then immediately turn off again. Well, I don't know. So that was weird. There's literally no one in the room. I, I would have seen it. I can like see the door partially, unless someone has been there all day and hasn't moved from like a part of the room that I can't oversee because I've been sitting at my desk for like hours now. Well, anyway, that's weird. <laughs> so I, I don't even know what I was talking about. I think I was talking complete <laughs> at some point because I, I, I saw the weird lamp thing happening. So I investigated it and I didn't find a way to make it just play at random. And I can assure you, I mean, I've been living, I'm still living in that room, in that same room with that same music box. And it literally has never happened again. Not a single time has that music box started to play again. Just out of nowhere. Just, it just hasn't happened. Um, and I don't really have an explanation because also no one was actually touching that cupboard. Like, no one was sitting close enough to touch it. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I don't know how it happened. Um, I have had some other things happen, minor things, very, very minor things, and um, I mean, I can tell you that story in another call as well if you want to, uh, but other than that, there has not really been any ghostly activity, I think, I'm not even sure if someone has died here, maybe someone has, um, there is the possibility that someone has died in here, in that house, um, but if so... I had never had any other activity happening. So I don't know what it was that made that music box play that day and that made it, made it so that the TV wasn't going on, uh, wasn't turning on. Um, I'm sorry for any grammatical errors or so, because again, I'm 17 years old and I'm not a native English speaker. Um, yeah, I also don't know what, it, what just happened across, across the street. <laughs> Um, to be honest, I didn't even want to take uh, the recording that I'm just making because I thought I I don't like making like grammatical errors or such and so I didn't even want to take that one and send it in. But after the weird lamp incidents in, in the other house, in, in the neighbor's house, I think I might just need to take that one <laughs> because that is, that's a weird thing that just happened and that's also a coincidence. Um, probably. I don't know. Weird. Anyway, uh, thanks for your podcast. It's a lot of fun, always. And, um, yeah. 
Bye. Thank you, Lisa. I really enjoy getting these calls from far-off places. It's a lot of fun to hear the strange phenomenon experienced in other countries. I'll start off my analysis with the music box part. Most of these boxes, especially the older crank-operated ones, are spring-loaded. Sometimes it seems like the crank has completely spun itself out, when that's not actually the case. Any heavy vibration, such as a group of girls all running around and climbing on the floor, is enough to move the gears just slightly enough to cause the box to play momentarily. So in other words, there's half a crank left, and that vibration's just enough to set off that final half turn. Now as for the second part of your call, I'm very leery to blame the paranormal for the lights coming on in an empty apartment. Whenever I go out of town, I rig up all kinds of timers to give the appearance that I'm home. And now with the rise of smart homes and devices such as Alexa, it's even easier to turn your lights on and off from far away. My guess would be that the person living there either had the lights on a timer or simply turned them off and on using a smart home device. Sometimes the explanation is much more mundane than the paranormal alternative. But either way, thank you, Lisa, for submitting from so far away. Our next call covers a subject we've heard a lot about lately, the triangle or wedge-shaped UFO. This is an anonymously submitted call from the state of Vermont. Hi, I had a story uh, from when I was about nine years old. It was 2001 in uh, Wilmington, Vermont. And uh, there was, uh, it's a UFO story. I was actually with my dad. We, we saw it together. And um, I remember the day very specifically because um, at that time, my parents had just gone divorced and we were alternating um, visitation between me and my sister. So it was just me and my dad at that time. We actually seen uh, Jurassic Park 3 that night and uh, I actually got sick in the movie theater. So it, it was a night that I just uh, I, I couldn't have forgot, couldn't have forgotten, and uh, we lived up in the mountains of Vermont. Uh, Wilmington is kind of a, a valley town, and uh, we lived about 20 minutes outside of out of the main town on Hogback Mountain. And uh, it was probably about nine o'clock at night. We had left the theater early because I was sick, and we um, as we were pulling up, it was a dirt road, and we were probably um, our closest neighbor was 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 probably um, three, four hundred feet away from us, covered by trees. So we were, we were pretty far away from everybody. And there was a black triangle hanging above our house, um, probably about 500 to 1,000 feet up. Now, this triangle was huge. It was it took up most of our property. Um, you couldn't see around it when you were underneath it, and it was directly above our house. It wasn't a um, sharp angled triangle. There was there was actually about maybe six edges in total because the corners were actually flat. Um, so it was more of a round looking um, a triangle with more round edges on it. Uh, the bottom of it, there were three uh, rings on each kind of on each corner, and then around the sides, it was mostly white lights. There was uh, a couple of blue and red lights, uh, and but it, it took up the, the lights completely circled around the entire side. There was not a, a gap left open without a light there. Um, it was extremely large. It wasn't making any noise at all and uh, was just kind of sitting there quietly. Now, we uh, got out of the car, and again, this is 2001, so I think I, I didn't have a phone. I was about nine years old. And my, my dad, um, he had one of those uh, black and white Nokia phones. 
Uh, so, you know, we weren't trying to find a, a camera at the time. Um, but we walked out of the car and, uh, it was, a it was, um, the, the entrance was actually a stairway with a deck. So, uh, it was, the, the, it was probably 10 feet off the ground where the deck was. And, uh, we walked up the stairs, stood on the deck, looking upwards. And, uh, we probably sat there or stood there for about five, maybe 10 minutes. Felt like it was much longer than that at the time. Um, but I remember being just, incredibly I mean I was terrified I, I was extremely scared and uh, I was I ended up holding my dad's hand and him and I just looked up at the uh, at the triangle for like I said five to ten minutes and, uh, and then it just kind of started to move forward it didn't go up didn't take off super fast it just, uh, just kind of lazily just slid forward in the air um, and kept going forward until uh, we just couldn't see anymore and, uh, and it disappeared um, so yeah, that, that's my story. I, I've told a lot of people it and I've got a lot of different feedback about it, but I'm um, definitely not something I will, I will ever forget. We actually, uh, got online. We had dial up at the time and, uh, we were able to find one website where a graphic designer saw the same thing in Vermont, uh, not too, uh, not too soon before that, our time, and, uh, was able to, uh, recreate a graphic image of it. Since then, uh, never been able to see it again. So there's a lot of rumors. My dad kind of thinks it might even be a government plane, um, but in the middle of Vermont. So <laughs> who knows? Um, I, I'm more on the on the supernatural side of it, or, or not supernatural, but uh, extraterrestrial side of it, uh, just because of how unique the situation was. But definitely not something I will ever forget. All right, that's my story. Thank you so much. Love the show. Thank you, caller. This story actually reminds me of a very famous UFO flap that took place back in January 5th in the year 2000 in St. Clair County, Illinois. The following video from Nat Geo goes into further detail regarding this infamous flap. My name is Melvin Knoll, and I'm a part-time truck driver, and, and I own this miniature golf course and also the go-kart track out here. That certain morning, I happened to look over into the sky to the northeast, and I seen a very, very bright light up there, like a very bright star. And then I said, well, that's moving. And I just stood there and watched it as what I was doing, and it was just coming down out of the sky real slow, and no noise, just quiet, and I couldn't see no wings or nothing, just floating right through the midair up there. And I thought, well, if I don't tell nobody, that I've seen something go over town tonight. Nobody will believe me tomorrow. Noel drove his truck to the Highland, Illinois Police Department to report an unidentified flying object heading toward the neighboring town of Lebanon. Lebanon just received a call from Highland PD. Reference to a truck driver just stopped in and said there was a flying object in the area of Lebanon. It's a joke, right? No, this is not a joke. Ed Barton was the first police officer to respond to the call. There's a very bright white light east of town, and it keeps changing color. It's heading westbound now. Matter of fact, if the shadow officer looks up, they can probably see it by now. 25, 50, I see something, but I don't know what the heck it is. 
At 4.23 a.m., police officer David Martin saw the UFO over a field on the outskirts of Shiloh. I happened to look over and saw this large floating object that was just moving very slowly. It was probably about a football field in length. It had three large bright lights lighting up the sky underneath it. I honestly don't know what it was that I saw, other than I know it wasn't a plane or a helicopter or a blimp. Police reported the object over Lebanon, over Shiloh, over Milstad, over Dupo. Detective Mark Lopino says he saw it as it approached O'Fallon, Illinois. I was driving eastbound on Highway 50 when I see the object, the UFO, if you will. I first thought it was probably a bunch of helicopters flying in some type of formation. As I drew closer to it, I saw it start to cross over the roadway. It was unlike anything I have ever seen before. You could see the lights, and you could see something that they were attached to, and it was shaped like a triangle. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what, what the heck is this? So I continue, and it's going over these trees. By the time I get here toward the left turn lane, I duck into the left turn lane here, and I stop right about here. I wanted to listen to see if I could hear any type of engine noise. I could not hear anything. I tried to look again at the UFO, and it had already gone behind these trees. I put it in reverse to back up a couple seconds to see if I could reacquire it again. By the time I backed up and tried to see it, it had moved at least a mile away, if not further. That quick, I was just astonished. I didn't know what to say. I was speechless. Six people, including five police officers, saw an object over southern Illinois that night. And they all describe what they saw as a massive triangular object flying in total silence. I have to be honest, I cringed pretty hard during the part where the police laugh at the poor guy calling in, only to later realize that the report was no laughing matter. It's behavior like that that keeps honest people from reporting strange encounters, and in turn makes it even more difficult to get to the bottom of some of these stranger cases. Now, as for the caller's story, it certainly sounds similar to all the other reports we've received of large, slow-moving, and silent craft. Craft that I've suggested in the past that may very well be manufactured by our very own military. Thank you again for that great little call. Our next call keeps us in the Northeast, but switches subjects drastically. The following is Chris's call from the state of New York. Hi, Derek. My name is Chris. I'm from New York State. Um, I'm actually calling to tell you a story about um, a paranormal experience I had back in college. Um, my roommate and I were always experiencing weird things, things falling off the shelf in the middle of the night, um, things falling, you know, randomly falling over, and just a weird vibe in the room overall. So one night we got a couple of other of our friends and we all sat together in the room, turned off the lights, and my buddy that lived next door to me, he's a big skeptic, didn't believe in ghosts or any of that stuff. Um, so we were basically trying to prove to him, you know, hey, can we, can we stir something up? And usually I don't like messing around with the paranormal world, or world especially Ouija boards, all that stuff. But um, so we all sat in a circle, and we 
had this glow-in-the-dark basketball that we had on the back part door and put it in the middle of the room and we all sat on the beds. Um, just a quick note, there was no draft, there was no wind, there was no um, stand on or whatnot. Just all of them or three of us sitting in the middle on the outside of the, the room. Um, we put the ball in the middle of the floor and we asked repetitively, or we kept, re sorry, I'm scatterbrained here. You can edit as much as you want. Um, we kept asking the ball or something in the room, if there's something in the room or someone in the room, move the ball. And nothing happened for probably 10 minutes. And finally, we asked it again, and the whole ball rolled over a complete rotation. And at that point, my friend who didn't believe in ghosts, we always make fun of him for it. It's funny. He got up as quick as a jackrabbit and said, okay, I believe, and ran out of the room. And I tell you one thing, um, after that one experience, I never slept the same in that room in the means of was never able to get a full night's sleep. Kept waking up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, couldn't go back to sleep, the whole ordeal of what people usually experience. All right, well, that's my story. I have another one, another Bigfoot-related story I'll probably call back with at a later time. But thanks a lot, Derek. Continue your good work. Thank you, Chris. This one's rather troubling. I can see how one of the guys could manipulate the ball, causing it to roll. Sometimes a subtle breath is all it takes to move an object, especially one that rolls. Of course, it's possible that another force moved the ball something or someone from beyond. But to satisfy my curiosity, what is the history of the building, the area? Was there an event, a tragedy, or a death that would help explain why a ball-moving spirit would take up residence there? Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. If you find anything out about the history, please shoot us an update. Our next story comes with some evidence. This story was submitted with an EVP. Now, to avoid confirmation bias, I'm going to play the EVP before the story, then again after. Let's see if you hear the same message both times. Here is that EVP played three times. And the following written submission was sent in by Caitlin. Hi, Derek. I started listening to your podcast right around the beginning of the year. I love how level-headed you are in your approach to these listener-submitted stories. I'm hoping you can apply the same approach to my attached video and help me come up with some sort of rational explanation for what I believe to be the voice of my brother-in-law's ghost. Please feel free to use the audio in any way you like, but I'd rather keep the video itself private since it does show images of my family. Quick backstory, my brother-in-law was killed by a drunk driver in February of 2015. September 23rd is his birthday. The day I took this video would have been his 34th birthday. The video was taken at a photography studio where we were waiting for our shoots to begin. Because we had an early appointment, the only people in the building were myself, my husband, our two kids, ages 9 months and 3 years at the time, and two female photographers. While we were waiting for the photographers to set up, I took this quick video to tease the photo shoot to my followers on Snapchat. 
At the end of the video, you can hear a raspy voice say what sounds like, I love you. I've listened to this audio a hundred times at least, so now I'd like to hear yours and your audience's opinion. In the video, you first hear my husband talking in a baby voice while bouncing our nine-month-old on his knees. Then I move my camera to my son who is spinning in circles like kids do. Then you hear another voice that sounds male. That's the voice that I can't place. Nobody in the building would have been capable of making that voice. And there was no music or any other background noise. Considering that would have been my brother-in-law's birthday, I'm stuck on the thought that maybe this is his voice and he's trying to tell us that he's still here. Take a listen. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Anyway, I love the show. Thanks for providing a safe place for people to share their stories. Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. First off, let me say, I'm incredibly sorry for your family's loss. Now, before we move forward, let's hear that EVP a couple more times. Now, to set the scene here, there's a young kid in the foreground of the video. I'm assuming that's the three-year-old child. Then it pans over to a man holding a baby in a playful manner, which I assume is the husband and nine-month-old. The atmosphere is clearly a store waiting area of some sort. Now that the scene is painted, let me tell you what I think it is. Just as the camera pans away from the man and the baby, the voice can be heard. But the way the husband is holding the baby reminds me of an adult pretending to nibble or give the baby a raspberry. The fact that the baby is shirtless helps support this theory. So, what I'm proposing here is that the camera pans away, but the husband continues to play with the baby, perhaps making a growling, biting sound as he does so, a move I've done countless times with my niece and nephews as they were growing up. Of course, I cannot say for certain that this is in fact what happened, but as Caitlin stated, she's looking for a logical explanation. Now, strictly as an EVP, I can't say that I hear, I love you. It simply sounds like a man pretending to growl in a playful manner. Anyhow, that's my two cents. I really appreciate you sharing the story and the EVP with us, Caitlin. I hope that my theory helped at least raise a question or two. Very cool stuff. Thanks again. Now our next call isn't a story per se, but more of an explanation of a past call, or calls. You may remember two similar calls played on last week's show about aircraft that seemed to float in midair. Well, Alex may have an explanation for that crazy phenomenon. Hey Derek, uh, this is Alex from Chicago. I called and left a message about the you know weird Mothman sighting thing. Uh, I was just listening to your last episode, and you had uh, a couple of callers who saw some anonymous, uh, anonymous uh, some unknowable uh, flying objects that were seemed stationary. Uh, and the second one in particular I wanted to comment on because I think I know the reason. Um, and it's because it happened to me before. Uh, I, I went to school in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the area of Loyola Marymount. And it's right by LAX. And when one time we were driving back from uh, getting lunch, coming up Lincoln Boulevard, and to the right, right before the entrance to LMU's campus, is a very large hill on the other side of the street. And over the top of this hill, as we were driving uh, towards it, there was a plane flying the other direction. And it looked for all the world, and there were four of us in the car, that it was hovering. 
And we actually went up and tried to find it, see if it was an air balloon. I remember looking it up online to see if there was some weird something going on. Uh, over the next th uh, three or four years at, in college, it happened a few more times, and I realized it was just the angle at which we were driving the direction and the direction of the plane, and the, however that perspective and parallax works, it turned out to make it look like it was literally stationary. It was freaky, like really is freaky, but it has a, a pretty pedestrian explanation, I think. And I'm pretty sure the guy in the car who lost it over the horizon, I think that's what happened. And I bet if he drove that same stretch with the same conditions, he would be able to see the same thing. Just my two cents could have been something else. I liked your explanations too, but uh, that's it. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Alex. I think this is an excellent explanation for what the two gentlemen saw. I've experienced the same optical illusion that Alex described more than once, and it does in fact look like the plane is simply sitting there. Thank you again for submitting that explanation. I can't help but think that you're onto something. Alright, I have one more story to share, but first, some info you might want to make note of. I have had several requests for t-shirts this week. Unfortunately, I'm practically out. But I will be reordering this weekend and will hopefully have them back in stock in a couple of weeks. I'm also toying around with another design, so I'll keep you up to date on that as well. Do keep in mind that I still have Monsters Among Us koozies and decals, as well as the ringtone version of the theme song available in the shop. Are you a Patreon supporter? If not, what's stopping you? I just posted the latest bonus episode yesterday, and I'll be posting an investigation video later next week. This particular video is super late, but it's also a beast, and it's taking quite a while to edit. But trust me, it'll be well worth the wait. So if you want to take advantage of this bonus material, just head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Sign up for the $4 level, and all that extra content is yours. Enjoy responsibly. And lastly, be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcast or whatever it is the kids are calling it these days. And, while you're at it, be sure to join the Facebook group. Like the Facebook page and follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. Addie's doing an amazing job over at the group page, so if you only do one of those things, make sure that you join the group. Alright, without further delay, our final story. Our final tale of the evening is a written submission about a creature I've never heard of before. This is Elijah's story from Virginia. Hi. This happened a few years ago, so the details are kind of hazy. I was moving into a new house, and I was staying with my grandmother on my mother's side of the family while we moved. And while I was staying there, I was helping with the chores, and I had forgotten to feed the dogs the night before, so I went out to feed them early in the morning. It had rained the night before, so everything was kind of gray and foggy. I was making my way to feed the big Doberman pincher she had, and as I was walking there, I noticed he was asleep on the ground, which was weird because it had rained all night long. Ignoring that fact, I went to dump his food into the bowl, and when I started pouring it in, something not too far off ran extremely fast into the woods. It was pale white and was on all four legs, and from what I can remember, it was humanoid in shape and with a flat back, like a person's, and it was fast enough to be a blur to my eyes. I was so freaked out about it, I ran into the house and told everyone, but they said it was probably just an albino deer or something. But it doesn't make any sense. That was too fast for a deer, and it was shorter than a deer by a lot. 
And furthermore, there hasn't been an albino deer sighting in this part of Virginia in years. I remember a sighting similar. Someone saw something as they drove down the road. I believe they called it a flesh gate. I posted this on Reddit under the Cryptozoology subreddit, and someone said I should message the podcast as it could shed some light on it. Some of the comments I've gotten have suggested things such as the devil monkey, a bobcat, gray fox, but this was bigger than all of those, and it was bleach white. Thanks for your time. Thank you for that submission. Okay, as I said in the intro for this story, I have no idea what a flesh gate is. So I did what I do, and I went over to YouTube and dug up the following clip from Nature's Temper. Fleshgate. A fleshgate is a skin-stealing monster of unknown origin with reported encounters all around the world. The term fleshgate was coined by online fans of horror stories and creepypastas in order to separate and categorize them away from skinwalkers, Native American witch doctors that have the ability to transform into certain animals. If you're interested, I've done a video on this too. Unlike skinwalkers, fleshgates are believed to be entirely malevolent in their intentions, often picking a specific person to target, imitating their closest friends and family in order to get close and most likely kill them. In some instances, this requires the fleshgate to kill another person to wear their skin. In others, they can simply shapeshift or wear someone else's skin in the distance, and perfectly mimic their voice. Their vocal mimicry is usually flawless, though it is often limited to short words and phrases the Fleshgate has heard and recognized as useful for influencing human movement, like, hello. Outside the skin of another person, it is left up to speculation what these creatures look like. Depictions range from a human with no skin to something akin to a wendigo, pale skin, long limbs, sunken eyes, sharp claws, and gnashing teeth. Fleshgate are usually found in forests, but are not limited to this. They've also been encountered on mountains, and in deserts. But what remains the same is that all these places are very far from civilization, far away from help, and far away from other humans. As stated prior, they'll typically go for one person out of a group, but if anyone else puts themselves in the line of fire, they will have no problem killing them too. The most common way in dealing with Flashgate is that you usually have to leave the area and go back to civilization, though this is not always effective and you may be followed home, even across countries, suggesting these creatures may have multiple powers. Religious and cultural symbols such as dream catchers have proved somewhat effective against these creatures, but ultimately tend to fail in the end. So if all else fails, follow similar protocol that you would for a demon. Failing this, do your best to keep fighting. So what I take from this is that it's another made-up creature similar to the Rake or the Slenderman, something that came to life on the internet and through a combination of fear and imagination has managed to sink its claws into real life, so to speak. But that's not to say that Elijah didn't see something strange outside his grandmother's home. Truth be told, there are all sorts of known white animals in that part of the country. Elijah mentioned deer, but other possibilities are dogs, coyotes, fox, and even cats. But the one detail that throws me for a bit of a loop is the description of the creature's back. What animal in that area has a flat back? 
none of the animals I listed above do, so that pretty much puts us back where we started, in the dark. My final question here is regarding the dog. Elijah had mentioned that it was sleeping in the mud. Was the dog alright? Was it injured or worse? Thank you again, Elijah, for that submission. Something tells me it's not a flesh gate, but it's entirely possible that the creature you witnessed that night is something altogether just as mysterious. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us was written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. Any audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Music from this episode was provided by Mayu and Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.